Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. series on the gift of repentance. Uh, We have spoke about a few different things along uh, the way of this journey this morning. We've talked about simply the gift of repentance. We've talked about uh, there being a space or a moment of time for repentance. We talked about seeking out that place of repentance. And then this morning we want to talk about today fruits, fruits of repentance. We alluded to just a little bit last week that uh, there were fruits of repentance, that there is even a certain amount of of change and behavioral dynamic that shifts even at the moment of repentance. That does not to say that we don't need to go on and and be baptized in Jesus' name or filled in the Holy Ghost, which can cause and have further effect and change upon our lives and perhaps some permanence of walking in a life of change. But repentance can have an effect of change upon our lives from the moment. So if you'll turn to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter number three, the book of Matthew, chapter number three, and I'm going to read that short verse right there. John the Baptist had been baptizing at the Jordan River. Several had come out of their cities and towns to either observe or see or maybe participate, be baptized by him. And with that, there were some Sadducees and Pharisees that came out as well. And he was a little taken back by them coming out. And uh, he said these words to them in verse number eight. He said, bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Fruits meet for repentance. How many people know that uh, the fruit of the tree is a good indication about what the tree is? Right? Unless you are some tree nerd study bark and leaves and can tell by the leaves or the bark or the twigs or how the branches go it it happens if you're just like a common man like maybe a good portion of us when there's an apple on it it's an apple tree Ta-da! somebody might be able to study the bark or the rings of it but uh, for me whenever I see the fruit I know what tree it is and I've yet to ever find an orange tree bearing apples or you know vice versa apple tree bearing oranges amen the fruit of the tree is indicative of the type of tree amen that it is so he said there should be fruits of fruits of or for repentance let's pray today that the lord would help us the next little while father i come to you this morning grateful lord jesus today god for being here i pray jesus let the anointing of your spirit touch our hearts and minds afresh and anew I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, let your word find a lodging in our lives. Help us, Lord, to receive instruction and, Lord, correction, reproof, and rebuke, Lord. God, with all long-suffering and doctrine, your word is profitable for all these things. God, we want them, Lord Jesus, to be evident, Lord, in our lives and take full advantage of what the Scripture relates to us today. God, and we'll not forget to praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, the church say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Again, our topic is the fruits of repentance. And uh, when we consider the ministry of Jesus Christ, we know that 
his days upon the earth were quite a few before he began his public ministry. But whenever that public ministry went into full bloom and he received a lot of uh, accolades and attention upon the earth, he received it kind of peculiar way. He received it from those people that would be considered uh, great, rich people and those that were paupers and those that were poor. He received it from both the religious world and the pagan world, got the attention of both segments of societies. His disciples, of course, they followed him and they loved him and appreciated him for who he was. Even his enemies couldn't deny him, couldn't deny the power that he worked with or wrought with. He had a unique way, Jesus did, a unique way of addressing the problems of his world, his culture, the religious systems of his time. Uh, even during the first century, he seemed to have a way to just call to order those that were living hypocritical lives. He would even call them just that, uh, quite, quite frankly, you hypocrites, you know, who's to warn you of those things that are yet to come. And even his, his biggest disagreement with uh, the hypocritical religious leaders, he would also, although they might have their disagreements, he would oftentimes entertain whenever he, he sensed that it was those honest questions that they might have. He could discern people's hearts so nobody's pulling a blanket over the Lord's eyes. Uh, he would tell them what was going on in their lives. And amazingly, at times, he had this ability. I'm working on it. But he had this ability to get those that he was calling to order, he would get them excited about their confrontation that he was doing concerning the sin that was in their life. He had a way of doing that. One such encounter happened with a woman, the Bible says, that was at the well of Samaria. He talks to her about giving her water that she'll never thirst again. He addresses that the husband that she is with is not her own. And, and in this confrontation then, he also, though, puts a seed of excitement in her life so that whenever she left the well, she goes back to Samaria and says, come see a man that told me everything that I'd ever done. Now, that's a special guy right there. He can confront sin and have somebody excited about what just happened to them, that he confronted their sin and want to go tell everybody else about it. Now, that is a gift. Well, that's God. But nevertheless, so he had the ability to do that. He told her about her broken life, and she got excited about it, about what she had done, and went and told her friends about this man. And as it would be, news always traveled quickly then, and it does still yet today, don't it? doesn't matter if it's the truth or even more so if it's a lie, probably even travel a little quicker but nevertheless it travels quickly and so people learned where Jesus's whereabouts was at and and what he was doing what he was performing uh, in the city of Jericho we alluded to this last week but we want to pick back up here this week and that is in the city of Jericho there was a wealthy a wealthy man he was an elite tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus we met him again in our last our last lesson and this man was by and large despised by his community and his culture, it was known that usually tax collectors were not looked up to but looked down upon uh, because they had a way, it seemed, of cheating everybody, uh, taking more than what they should have taken. And so Zacchaeus was viewed as a traitor, a turncoat, if you will, a thief. And uh, many people would try to shun him and shame him because of his, his, his career in life and his occupation. And so he had this job then working for the local gov government but he had a corrupted office, of course. He was collecting much more taxes than what was required. 
And when he collected more, well, that was just to pad and line his own pockets and take care of number one, Zacchaeus. And so because of this gross dishonesty and this blackened heart and this saint stained so, it seems a little peculiar that whenever he heard that Jesus was going to be passing by, that Zacchaeus would want to go out and take in this, this figure of, of, of renown in his culture at this time. Jesus Christ would be walking by. And the Bible says we understand that Zacchaeus must have been uh, let's say this politically correct, uh, vertically challenged. He was vertically challenged, so the Bible tells us that, that he's short, okay, in some way. Not just in stature, but because of his occupation, he's short on friends, he's short on honesty, he's short on integrity, he's just short. Uh, he's short concerning his good standing before God. And in spite of all these shortcomings, he wants to go see Jesus of Nazareth coming to town. He's heard about the miracles as of many have and the teachings as of many have. And he goes and he, he goes up into the sycamore tree to try to get a good view of the Lord that's coming by this street. There's a lot of ruckus. Uh, that's going on there's a lot of people there's a lot of curious people there's onlookers that's wanting to see the Lord and so he climbs up in that tree to see the master did not want to miss this chance to see this quote-unquote important person as it would be going by and after going up into this tree I per se would say that he'd never uh, expect what happened next and that is that Jesus would call to him up in that sycamore tree and motion him to come down because he was going to go to his house today. That's what he told Zacchaeus. He says, today I'm going to go to your house. Now, again, Jesus has this ability. He could read the mind and the heart of individuals. He had seen the life of Zacchaeus, had seen not only his occupation, he was well aware, amen, of what he had done, yet he wants to go to his house. He has discerned all this, but Jesus stops the procession and took some time uh, important uh, for what he could see. He could see a sinner under conviction. Jesus could see a sinner that was under conviction. And no sooner had Zacchaeus climbed down from his tree and headed toward the house alongside Jesus that Zacchaeus gets loose lips and just starts babbling about how, uh, and I'm reading a little bit into scripture here, but starts babbling about what he had done and how he had ripped some people off and taken extra money and charged more on their taxes and what should have been done. And even without Jesus saying a word to Zacchaeus, the Bible says that Zacchaeus is blabbering here and just basically telling the Lord in his presence, he says, I'm going to repay all of those that I've done wrong to. I'm going to restore unto them the things that I, I owe to them, even with interest on top of that. And it seems like Zacchaeus here introduced to the presence of the Lord and he already begins to have instantly, as it would seem, a heart that begins to change, having been exposed to the presence of the Lord. He started to get honest with God. He started to, if you will, confess some of what he had done, I'd done them wrong, but I'm going to make it right. I want to make my wrongs right. And he seems to be happy. Seems to be happy about doing this. And so it's important, as we've seen last week, that although Zacchaeus's repentance, again, repentance sometimes can be instantaneous, can happen in a moment, doesn't take much time. And there's other times that it's somewhat of a journey. And sometimes that is concerning about the individual, even age, a person of 50, like we said last week, might have a little bit further to work through than a boy of five years old. But nevertheless, Zacchaeus' repentance, as it would seem, seems instantaneous 
But I believe it was authentic behavior because we see a change as a result. Even at this point in the behavior of Zacchaeus, wanting to return unto these people, those things that he had taken from them in justly. So he has a change of behavior. And we know, we know that if there is a change of deeds, if there is a change of behavior, that that somehow has been affected by the way that you think. And if that is your way that you think is affected, repentance is just that, a change of mind. And so a change of mind affects our change of behavior. I remember as a young boy, and I'm talking about for me personally, but whenever I was a young boy, eight years old, and I repented of my sins, and I received the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name. I remember whenever I did that, some of the eager changes that in reflection, I look back upon my own life. I used to sit with mom and dad in church, and that was probably more so their requirement more than anybody's. <laughs> they keep track of Paul Robert. Amen. But whenever I had that change in my life, I remember being moving from that place to the front pew, Brother Pat. And I'd have me a little notebook at eight years old. And I wrote down everything that Pastor Sizemore was teaching, everything that he was uh, preaching right there on the front row. I was eager to hear what was being said in those sermons at eight years old because there had been that shift or that change that had taken place in my own life. Amen. And so when we're born again, children of God, whenever we've been given the nature of Jesus Christ, salvation has taken place in our life. Even at the point of just repentance, we understand things start to change. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 15 and verse 17, and this is from the New King James Version, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature, as the King James says. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so when the power of God begins to work in our life, uh, there are some changes that start to take place, but we are not fully, we have not fully yet escaped the gravitational pull of sin that's in the world either. There is that tug of war that happens in our life because there is that fallen nature that we have to contend with. And that's why Paul, again, and I think we talked about in the past four weeks, talks about that pool and that struggle, amen, of the good and the evil, that which he should do and that which he shouldn't do, that's constantly happened. There is always the possibility and the alluring of temptation that could just be around any corner. And so here's the fact of the matter. We will never be exempt from temptation. As long as we live in this life upon this earth, you will never totally be exempt from temptation. So, so if you're thinking living this life, you're going you're to reach this stage. You're just going to get so spiritual, Holy Ghost, that you don't have to contend with temptation anymore. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. That day will never happen living upon this earth. There will always, it doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what type of office. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor of a church. You will always have the ability to succumb, amen, to temptation. Whenever Cain had killed his brother Abel and he murdered him, the Lord spoke to him in this way and basically told him that sin, this is what he told Cain, he said sin lies at the door. And, and the language, if you read and see the, the Hebrew language of that, it is, it is posturing that sin is almost like a beast, a beast of prey that's ready, a, a, a predator rather, that's ready to pounce its prey just sitting at the door waiting for the right opportunity. 
waiting for the right chance. You know, we have said it before, and I think it's absolutely true, Bishop. We've all times said that, you know, whenever you leave, a, someone just comes and prays through an altar have had some type of move forward for God. You know, watch it as soon as you walk out the church house doors because it's like, the beast is setting out there on the sidewalk, so to speak, as soon as you leave, ready to prey upon you and try to take advantage of you. And no wonder then that Jesus admonished his disciples and told them that they should, you know, lead us, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. He even told the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, prayer, and he approached them. He said, pray that ye might not enter into temptation so again this this platform and soapbox it might seem sometimes we talk about man we need to pray we need to be a church that prays we need to be individual that have prayer lives it's more to it than just fulfilling a responsibility it is protection it is protection pray that we might not enter into temptation amen because there's one thing i'm constantly aware of this morning that that is my flesh if I allow my flesh can lead me down some paths, sinful paths, at any moment in time, Brother Terry McGee, that I give myself to it, it's ready to take me by the hand. Amen. Paul said there's nothing good in his flesh. <laughs> That's sad, isn't it? <laughs> that there's no good thing in his flesh. And he was constantly aware of one thing, and he spoke of them in the New Testament Scripture. He said there are three things, he said, that we as individuals contend with. Number one, we contend with the world. We contend with the world. More importantly, the spirit of the world. Spirit of worldliness. Worldliness is a spirit. He said that we, we deal with the world. He said number two, he said we deal with the devil. Absolutely. The thing is, sometimes we put a lot of blame on the devil that's actually the world. But number three, he says, we also deal with our flesh. He said, these are three, three things that are constantly uh, trying to uh, have influence upon our lives. And we must be aware of them. It's the world. It's our flesh. And it is the devil. They are enemies that's warring against our soul. Amen. Now, also here today, and I think it's important to point out, all, everybody say all actions have consequences. Now there's a, the pendulum go, though goes in both directions. You can have with obedience, which is an action, you can have a positive enforcing consequence. Just as with disobedience, a negative action can have a negative consequence, right? The Bible says in Galatians 6 and verse number 7, this is the New King James Version, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Man, I, I just pinned in the side of my, my Bible this week that that is perhaps one of the most empowering scriptures and possibly one of the most scary scriptures in God's word, that whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. A lot of times we look at it through the negative lens. You're doing bad, honey, it's coming back to you. You do wrong, it's coming back to you. But also consider the positive fact of it, that if you're doing right, yeah, 
living right, trying to live godly and righteously before the Lord, that those things which he has required of us, then, man, you have something good. But the old saying is this, that all actions, you know, bear fruit. It's been said that if we sow, this is the old saying, if you sow a thought, it will reap an action. If you sow an action, it will reap a habit. If you sow a habit, it will reap a character. And if you sow a character, it will reap a destiny. The power, then, that's within an action. Amen. Because we know temptation to sin is a progression, right? It is a progression. The Bible says in James chapter number 1 and verse number 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own, the King James is lust, this is New King James, desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it brings birth to sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This kind of hit me differently this week because I've heard the prayers. And, and I know even there's places in Scripture where the Bible says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. You've read that. Amen. And I, I've heard and I've even maybe even prayed before. You know, Lord, help me. Help me, God, keep me from sin. Keep me from falling. Keep me from this. And it just landed on me whenever I was studying this this week. Come to my mind that maybe my prayer shouldn't necessarily be God keep me from sinning as much as God give me the right desires. Because every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust or his desires. And then when lust or desires have conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm trimming bushes when I need to be plucking roots. God, God keep me from sinning. Lord, don't, don't let me lie to my name. Maybe I need to ask God to touch the desire part of my life. Because if it's desires that lead me down those roads and that lead me down roads of temptation, maybe I need to get to the root of the problem and say, help me with my lust or help me with my wants and my desires. Let them be proper. Because if my desire will be right, then my activity will follow suit. My activity will follow, will follow suit. And so I'm saying, Lord, help me with my desires. Now, I've already touched on this, but disobedience bears fruit as repentance bears fruit. Here's something we must ask ourselves. You know, and it's interesting because Satan has not changed his tactics since the garden. He uses the same. He has one bag with the same tricks. He uses the same stuff. Lies. Deception. And so, you know, I begin to ask myself, why aren't we any wiser, you know? I mean, same stuff for 6,000 years or so. Why aren't we any wiser? Well, number one, I believe, and you've heard me say it before, if it's deception that's the tool that's used, then, you know, you don't know when you're being deceived or it wouldn't be called deception, number one. But, but he uses the same tactics to what I've just said because we have improper and misled desire issues. And so he can prey upon that to his advantage. Here's something. If I were to give you advice this morning, here's some advice I'd give you. If you find yourself falling into the same pattern of sin over and over and over and over, number one, and this is very practical today, 
Number one, you need to find you some scriptures in God's word that you can use to pray against whatever it is that you are, are, are prone to. Because I guarantee you there's some in there. Whatever it may be, there's some in there. Also, number two, this would be my advice if you find yourself in certain patterns over and over again of certain sins. You need to keep yourself from those environments and circumstances that make the formula just right for you to walk into that sin. Amen. In order to walk into that sin. Number three, very practical today, you need to find somebody you can be accountable to concerning that sin. Well, Brother McGee, I'm not committing adultery. I don't care what it is. It, it, it may be, it could just easily be, you know, alcohol or being a, a prolific liar. <laughs> Amen. You, you need to have somebody that you can be accountable to, pray against, have some scriptures, pray against those things, and watch out for settings in which the tendency of that would be real easy. All right? That's, that's the reason why, you know, we, we tell our young people and we advise them, you know, you don't have to worry about falling in fornication. If you keep your surroundings in such a place, it's impossible to fornicate. You know? Amen. And so, going on today, when we refer to the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of, the, the, of repentance, rather, we are identifying the outward visible impact of a changed heart. Where we encounter the Lord for the first time, Again, there can be, ought to be, I believe, some type of significant, notable change within our life. Because the fact of the matter is, you cannot have a visitation of God unless you are totally, just totally callous to it. You cannot have a visitation of God and not realize that something has just occurred or happened. Unless you're just totally callous to it. I mean, Jacob entered into place and he had the, 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 the staircase to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And he said, the spirit of the Lord was here and I didn't even know it. But he recognized it after that. Then you have someone else like uh, who is, is, is Samson. And he thought the third time after he'd been with green widths and everything else that he was going to shake himself as before. But the Bible says he was not that the spirit of the Lord was not with him. It already reached a level. But by and large, most of the time, whenever we have a visitation of heaven, it has some type of impact upon our life. Jacob had a visitation from heaven with his wrestling match with the angel. And whenever he left that scene, he didn't walk the same way that he ever walked, and he had a new name on his life. Amen. Saul had an encounter on his way to Damascus. Amen. An encounter with the Lord. And whenever he went away, he went away blind and humble before the Lord. Amen. And so sometimes even Isaiah, he, 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 you know, at first he's saying, woe is them, woe is them, ca causing blame upon God's people. Man, they're far from God. They don't know anything. And all of a sudden he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And all of a sudden he's crying out, woe is me. Amen. And he's eager then to do whatever the Lord would have for him to do. He, the Lord's saying, Who's I, who am I going to send? Isaiah says, the Lord send me before he knew what he was going for. Before he even knew what the job description was. He said, Lord send me. Why? Because he had had an interaction with the divine presence of the Lord. And so I find that there are impacts upon our hearts even at the moment of repentance. Particularly, listen to me, particularly concerning Pentecost apostolic Pentecostal faith because we lean on the fact concerning conversion we lean on the fact that there is a life changing encounter 
Hear me today. That is what separates the Bible-believing church. All right? Which apostolic Pentecostal people should and ought to be. Bible-believing church from any other denomination in the world. And that is this. We believe you cannot come in contact with the Lord and stay the same. Oh, yes. That you can't come in contact with him and stay the same. Because there are, I mean, as, as if you would study religions overall through years have gone by. That, that the traditions of many is, I mean, for instance, in the day of like John Wesley. If you were, if you were born in Italy, you were a Roman Catholic. Your, 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 your uh, denomination, your religion was based upon your birth. If you, were, if you were in Italy, you were going to be a Roman Catholic. If you were in certain parts of Germany, you were going to be a Lutheran. That's the way it was. If you were in England, you were probably going to be some type of Anglican. But nevertheless, they had all these things. Amen. People that had the, the, uh, decisions toward God and encounter with God, you know, they just kind of meandered over into this group of society or that group of society. But that's not the case with the apostolic church. Because we have people being born again of the water and the spirit in third world countries like Papua New Guinea, other places like Norway, other places, if you will, like the United States, other places like Mexico. Amen. And they are not a part of a religion that was birthed from that portion portion of the country. They are born again Bible believers filled with the spirit of the Holy Ghost because they have had an experience with God that has forever changed their lives. Much of what we preach, folks, is preaching the power of change. Amen. Translation. It's, oh God, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost in here. It's not about you coming in with your same old problems and dilemmas and uh, lifestyle that was contrary to God's word and having an encounter with God or being even baptized in water and then leaving with the same old problems and concerns and a lifestyle that is diametrically opposed to God. No, 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 no. That is not the testaments that we preach from. We preach from you can come in as an alcoholic and you can leave sober. We preach you can come as a drug addict and you can leave clean. We preach you can come in with jealousy, strife, and envy and you can walk out with joy. We, honey, this is a change. A life revolution gospel. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah. It is. That's the reason why I have a, a certain level of anticipation. That whenever I see someone come to an altar, my mind says they will never be the same. They will never be the same. You say, how so? I'll tell you how so. I'll tell you how convinced I am about this word and this seed called the word of God and the spirit of power of God because people that's even received God's spirit and then somewhere in their life turned away from it. You hearing me? There are many 
that this word still has such a grand impact and their experience has such a grand impact on because once they've left the apostolic church or let me just say the Bible believing church I'm not trying to put a name on it but I'm just saying Bible truth believing church that once they have left that place there are many of them that are not sitting in a church house in their backslidden state why? because they can't come to terms to do it because they know God's word and his gospel is a life changing thing they can't, they can't endorse and accept truth that wasn't the truth of God's word they'd rather be backslid not connected to anything because if they ever come back home they're going back where their life can be altered and changed they'll defend Jesus name they'll defend the oneness of God in a backslidden state I'm telling you that honest to God's truth how in the world? Because that's the power of this gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. And so John, being the baptizer, he knew. He knew that type of impact of repentance in God upon people. And so that's the reason why he calls forth fruits meet for Repentance, some, some radical change of behavior or heart just even for the common folks. John had identified them in Matthew 3. John had identified their sin and their hypocrisy, and he told them. He said, you all need to turn from your evil ways. You need to strip yourself of your religious pedigree. Huh? John, John was like, I don't care if you do say Abraham was your father. I don't care if you do say Abraham was your father, what your, your, your pedigree, religious pedigree is. He says we need fruit. We need some type of manifestation, amen, of fruit. And what did he even tell them in one instance of Scripture? He warned them. He said, lo, I'm laying the axe where? To the root of the tree. That there is not going to be this change or this translation. Note. Even Peter, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts, laid a demand of change upon his audience as well. And I might be behind here a little bit. That's all right, we'll catch up. He, he laid a demand of change on his audience as well whenever they asked him, what shall we do? See, conviction happened. They felt like whenever they learned that they had slain who was in literally their Messiah? That conviction fell. It's like, what shall, when they believed it was like, what shall we do? Action. Action. And in that moment, just being honest here today, in that moment, Peter did not attempt to try to make them feel good or acceptable about where they were right now. You know what he was allowing? Some good old-fashioned repentance for those boys. It's not like they come to terms where they were and he was like, oh, it's all right. It's all right. God love you. It's okay. God understands. No. God, let them blab. Let them cry. Let them snort. Let snot drip from their nose. He wasn't trying to make them feel good or acceptable. Amen. He just simply put it directly to them. You got to repent. 
You've got to repent over your sins. And folks, that is the same way pattern that it's been for years. There must be repentance. There must be baptism in Jesus' name. There must be the infilling of the Holy Ghost. If you are sitting beside somebody and they are feeling the conviction of God upon their life, honey, you don't just need to sway that away and say, oh, it's okay. Honey, you need to direct them to an altar of repentance because what's going on in that moment is God is pulling. God is offering a gift of repentance to them. They need to repent of their sins. Folks, too many generations have gone by of us making people feel comfortable about where they've been and what they've done and how they're living life. We don't need that. That will send nobody's soul to heaven. It'll it'll for sure determine them for hell. We gotta be the herald today with a clarion cry. We need to repent for our sins. Doesn't mean we gotta be mean, but it means we must be persuasive. Amen. Help us, God. And I'm a believer. We need people in all different trans trans levels and transitions of life in the church. We need people that, that's never repented sitting in the church. We need people that's in the stage they've already repented and they need baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. We need people that's went through the first two steps and even of the third. We need people that's went through it all and still yet struggling with the old man. We need all stages. I agree with that. We need all stages. But none of us need to put up a mailbox in any of the stages. We're supposed to be growing in the word and growing by the word and so on and so forth. We, we need that. We need that. I'm not, I'm not intimidated by having people in every stage. That's fine. But in the words of Dory the fish, just keep swimming. Just, just keep swimming. Cry out loud. Amen. The Bible says that they gladly heard the message. They responded how? By repenting. And being baptized. Paul was so adamant about it one time when he was speaking before Governor Felix. The Bible says he was there. And what did he reason about in the the very presence of this great Governor Felix? He reasoned about righteousness. He reasoned about judgment that was to come. He reasoned about self-control or temperance. And the Bible says Felix was afraid, basically. He was scared. And he said, go away for now, Paul. At a more convenient time will I call for you. Folks, we need some moments like that, that something pricks somebody in their heart and there is a little sense of being uncomfortable because they realize they need to make some type of decision. They need... Hallelujah. He says, come back in another time, more, more, more convenient. Uh, he, he wasn't trying to... Paul wasn't trying to walk the dog, if you will, before the political elite. But as it all times says in Scripture... He says, him knowing the terror of the Lord, he tried to persuade men. Because if we we continue taking our time, we're going to take time to where there's no time. Amen. So, again, the message of repentance is not a message... 
of hopelessness. Oh, is repentance fun? Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it that in the moment. <laughs> Painful, perhaps. Whenever you're confronted by the Spirit of the Lord concerning your sins, but the end result, the end result is a joy unlike any other. That burden being lifted, that shame and guilt being pushed aside, knowing that you have a heart that stands uprightly before the Lord. There's something about that. There's something about a good saint of God like Sister Hack, whenever she went on from this life to the life to come, I'm sure a peace that was in her. Because she wasn't contending with the thoughts of this or that or the other that needed to be made right in the moment. Although time was to her benefit because she had the ability to make her right and she had already went through the plan of salvation. But not every experience from this life to the life to come is one of progress. Some of them happens in an instant, don't they, Brother Fred? They were here and then they're gone. That's the reason why we must take advantage of this gift of repentance every single day and moment in our living lives. Change our minds, change our heart, change our direction. I want you to know something here, too. And this is important today. It really is. Zacchaeus, again, he's a tax collector. He, he contends with money. And at the mode of his encounter with the Lord, he's ready to do something different concerning the way that he handles money. Just talk with me. Jesus taught in Luke 16 and verse 11, basically, that if, we are, if we're untrustworthy with 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 our finances or mammon or secular finances that then he would not trust us with the true riches money is very much so spiritual it is really spiritual as a matter of fact money that comes into our hands may be very much so filthy lucre and carnal but it is spiritual depending upon what you do with it Whenever we're not faithful with it, it becomes carnal and condemning. But whenever we are faithful with it, it enters the level of carnality to the level of spirituality. Concerning tithing and offerings. Now, just what now? How in the world, Brother McGee? Just follow. And because of money, of course, is a large part of our lives, we got to be careful then not to violate, violate principles of biblical stewardship. Notice that whenever John the Baptist preached repentance... He was asked, whenever he preached that message, he was asked by tax collectors, John, what should we do? And the message of repentance that John was preaching then confronted their dishonesty with money. Note, you can look at it in Luke 3 and verse number 13. John admonished them. Tells these collectors, collect, basically, this is New King James Version, collect no more than what is appointed for you. They heard the message of repentance. They wanted to know, then, what should we do concerning this being tax collector thing? He says, don't collect any more than what's appointed you. Right after that, you'll read of then of a soldier's, soldiers coming to him. And they're asking him, John, we want to ask you about our, our behavior. 
about us as soldiers. And his recommendation to the soldiers was this. He says, do not intimidate, basically don't intimidate people with all these false accusations and stuff. And more than that, be satisfied with your wages. Connected to money again. Be satisfied with your wages. And so John underscored and emphasized and gave priority that getting honest with our financial business how we handle our money and our finances and secular business and overall in the kingdom of God. He was basically telling believers, you need to get honest with the way that you handle money. And his subject matter, and in that context, it was all about repentance. Wow. Amen. Because it will have an impact and effect, not on what you choose areas of life, but every area of your life. This is not the buffet. You like mashed potatoes, but not lima beans. This is God says, you put a little bit of it all on your plate. Amen. 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 Repentance that yields fruit only works. Let me move on. I'm sorry. Repentance that yields fruit. My battery might be out. You might have to get it to me up there. Oh, I'm sorry. There we go. You do it. I'll leave it alone. Repentance. Repentance that yields fruit only works when God is allowed to work in us. Not when we are just trying to appease a guilty conscience. I'm going to read it one more time. It's before you let it get in your brain and your system. Repentance that yields fruit only works when God is allowed to work in us. And not when we are just trying to appease a guilty conscience. Because if your behavior and action is for the purpose of appeasing a guilty conscience... I prophesy unto thee that you will return to it. But if it is the product of allowing God into the innermost recesses of your life, your probability is just increased of not returning to it. Years ago, there was a man that he enjoyed smoking a pipe. He knew it was something that he shouldn't do. He was convicted of it, knew it, felt bad inside because of it and over it. And this was back in the days that they had traveling evangelists that held tent meetings at, at places and locations, and they would have grand turnouts for these tent meetings, and folks would come from everywhere to see the traveling evangelist and hear what he would preach. And in those days, listen, in those days, you've heard Bishop then before, preaching in those days was this. You preached against sin, you preached about repentance, you preached about Jesus' name, preached about the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and that was it. That, I mean, that was really the totality of the message on those platforms. And so an evangelist came to town, son, he preached against sin, you know. Flew with this gray area. Man, let's go black and white. Let's call it what it is. And he just preached on sin. And so people would do, follow the instruction of the word of the Lord, come to an altar, amen, repent of their sin. But some, although they would quote, unquote, repent, no change. So this man who was the, the pipe smoker, feeling con you know, convicted in the spirit. He was there in one of the service. The preacher preached against him. He felt convicted about his pipe. 
and on more than one occasion during this week of revival, whenever he'd get done praying at the altar, he'd take that pipe. They were out there close to cornfields and stuff. He'd take that pipe and he'd throw it as far as he could out in that cornfield. Bless God, I'm done with smoking the pipe. He'd go home that night where the dust settled and the lights was off at the old tent meeting. Late in the night, drive his truck out to that cornfield with his coal oil lamp on his hands and knees, searching for his pipe and find it. Take it back home with him. Only for another night of revival come forth, man, preaching sin, hellfire, brimstone. Oh, God, I got to quick go to the altar. Take that pipe. I don't know if everybody thought he was buying another pipe every time this happened. But take that pipe, throw it as far as you could in the cornfield. Sure enough, nightfall come. Him and his coal oil lamp made a trip out into the old cornfield looking for that pipe on his hands and knees so one day there was a good old preacher came by the old preach he didn't just preach repentance but he also preached baptism in Jesus name preached the infilling of the Holy Ghost preached about having a ever changed life pipe smoker bub came to church buddy God got a hold of his heart conviction again repented though unlike ever before not just did he repent but he also received the baptism amen in Jesus name in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And on his way home that night, he didn't wait to do it there in front of everybody at the church, but on his way home, he took that old pipe. As he's going down the road, threw as far as he could out in the old cornfield. He didn't have to get his coal oil lamp that night to go out there looking for that pipe. Wherever the pipe lay, that's where it was, forever was. Because something different happened, I believe, yes. He wasn't trying to appease his guilt this night wasn't trying to shove off the shame this night he truly wanted an absolute change if you'll stand with me tonight or this morning rather absolute change in his life I remember years ago now first time we ever first time we ever preached for uh, Bishop St. Clair in Anderson in our evangelism days Matter of fact, he wasn't even there. Luke and them went there. They was having one of their children. I don't remember which one now. But they was having one of their kids at that moment in time, so his Bishop Bingham was there. So we went in church there. This is when they were still in their old building. We went in there, and I preached my little heart out that night. And there was a lady that came forth that night. She had her pack of cigarettes in her lighter. She just threw them down there on the altar. She just done with it, ready to repent over all that, just go on. Many of you have similar stories. That the night that you came to God, there was just some things that was no longer an option in your life. Mike Penrod, you've told the stories. The night you came to God, you went back home, wherever the alcohol was in your home, it went down the commode. Didn't have to keep a fifth back in the, in the drawer just in case. Oh, oh, oh. No, no, no. Now, I'm not going to be needing this anymore. I'm not going to be needing this. I'm not going to be needing this anymore. We bow our heads here tonight. The words of this morning, the words of John, and the words of today. Show forth fruit, meat for repentance. There can be, I even state emphatically this morning, ought to be some type of dynamic change even at the first step of salvation, even at repentance. It's a change of mind. 
That's what it means. It's that 180 degree turn. It's that turning away from, from something in order to turn toward God. Folks, that's a change. That's, that's some type of dynamic shift, even of action and behavior that can take place at the place of repentance. And here's the awesome thing today. That gift, that opportunity of repentance is granted to every single one of us sitting in the sound of my voice this morning. Every single one of us. It doesn't have to be a response just due to guilt and shame. And that's important that we have those feelings and feel those feelings. I believe God imposes those upon us so that we can feel those so that it will prompt something in our spirits to react, to react in some measure and way. But he doesn't want you just to go through the calisthenics of doing something to receive that, to, to, to relieve that feeling that you're feeling. He wants you to have an honest heart. He wants you, whenever we follow the Lord, you know what he desires? He wants us to have the same level of hatred toward those things that pull us away from him as he has. He wants us to detest those things at the level that he detests them and in the same mode he wants us then to love and have an appreciation for the things that he loves and appreciates that's the reason why you've heard me teach before concerning the old testament you know the lord required certain sacrifices in certain ways in which the sacrifices should be offered and should be brought and you know there were certain animals that were to be brought that were to be acceptable unto the lord and there's all a purpose in all that because in order for a man then to have audience as it were with god in that moment he had to bring the sacrifice that was pleasing to god and what god was teaching in those moments to those people that wanted to have audience with him they would begin to learn then what was acceptable to God amen they knew what was pleasing to God and they knew in order to get audience with him then they were going to do that which was pleasing to God not pleasing to themselves but pleasing to God and so in some of those even sacrifices like peace offerings that they would bring whenever they get done they were even allowed to eat portions of that peace offerings and many times that was some of the only times they ever had meat to eat because of the peace offerings and here's the wonderful dynamic their appetite then, the food that they got, their appetite was dictated by what God's appetite was. That meant they only partook of things then that was pleasing to the master. He doesn't want it any different today. He wants you to feed upon and consume and interact with the things that are pleasing and acceptable. He wants to dictate our diet. Amen. He wants to dictate our diet today. These altars are open. Amen. As Brother Mason has a song here for us today. This concludes our, our, our gift of repentance series today. But I think it would be a good time. Amen. Those that would be willing. It would be a good time just to find a place in the altar. Either come and stand. Come and kneel. Amen. And let's just practice, if you will. Let's just practice that mode of repentance in our life. If it's the first time you've ever done it, then that's a great, 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 great thing. And you should, it should be well thought of to practice that, that gift of repentance or if it's your 110th time it matters not Lord here I am today God a change of my mind God that impacts Lord and translates into my behavior and actions oh God Lord this experience this Bible experience is a life changing experience it's a life changing experience myself come on sir come on ma'am. thank you for listening 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.